Brilliant. Good morning, everyone. If I can do this really quickly, we get to hear Richard more. So um, uh, you're probably gearing up for, for summer or winding down for summer. I'm not sure whether you've finished your exams, whether you've finished um, teaching for a bit. If you're in education, you're kind of... We're, we're just doing this short series on Naturally Supernatural, but just, but just looking at a, a summer, um, just with a summer theme. So Andrew was talking about taking the plunge... Not taking the plunge. Andrew was talking about um, camping around the presence of God last, last week, about rather, we'd rather be doorkeepers in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And quite frankly, I'd rather hang around in a muddy field in Shepton Mallet than be on a five-star hotel in... Finish that sentence if you want. Thankfully, God's in both those places. But let's be determined that the series is about let's be, be de- determined over, over summer that we're not winding down in our faith, but we're gearing up for it. And we're expecting the Holy Spirit to be stirring us as a people, stirring us. Uh, we're kind of winding down with a few of our different ministries. Whistle Stop finished for this week. That's one of our music groups uh, for the under fives that happens on a Wednesday. It's fantastic. Uh, the team finished there, and I really want to thank them for all that they do. Transformer celebrating this afternoon with a little garden party, the people who do our street teams and stuff like that. But I also just want to mention our prime time as you look after some of the elderly in our community. We've got a couple of pictures coming up. They work tirelessly doing little gatherings and they went out for a trip um, and they read one of our favorite King's Table as prime time has got to steer the boat a little bit which is great uh, but Mary and Sue do an amazing work there there's so many different people that we could mention from the front but I just wanted to mention Mary and Sue and the work they do with prime time looking after our elderly has that got anything to do with what we're talking about this morning I'll let you decide in five minutes um, but we're going to turn our Bibles to Matthew 14 if you can um, a passage that may be familiar to you if you've been around church long enough. Um, it's about Jesus walking on the water. Um, but today's t- title is it's about taking the plunge. It's about risk and it's about faith, which is one of the reasons I'm not talking for long and Rich is t- talking for a little bit longer. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's just read straight from verse 22 of chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. That's the crowd who'd who'd eaten uh, from the the feeding of the 5,000. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I wonder if you feel like the wind's against you at the moment in your boat. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Hmm, interesting. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. He said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Uh, so just, this is going to come as a shock for some of you, but for those of you who have walked on water, Jesus says you have little faith. So I'm, I'm so sorry for those in the room who've, who've done that. Um, pretty incredible 
um, story. And I just want to briefly look at it in terms of what happens when, when Jesus walks past in, in what we're doing. And when we see Jesus in the unfamiliar. We're perhaps used to seeing Jesus in certain ways and in certain um, areas. For the disciples, they'd grown up in an era where the knowledge of God was, was much more understood than the actual practice of God, than encounters with God. And, and so this was a strange thing. This was a strange thing. Do we recognize God when we've been buffeted by the waves? Have we got faith enough to see Jesus, or does he look unfamiliar in our stormy times? That's the question I want to ask. Do we recognize him? What I find fascinating about this is that the disciples have tummies full of miracles at this point. That's what I want to say. Tummies full of miracles. They've eaten this miraculous feeding of the 5,000 that's just happened, and now they're, they're heading off in a boat. So they're eating. they've got miraculous bread and fish inside them. I wonder if you've consumed a whole bunch of stuff that God's done, but perhaps you haven't considered it. I wonder if as a church we're used to the move of God, but we're not considering what God does and what he could do. And so we might miss him. And there's a challenge there. I'm going really quick, so you're just going to have to just make some notes and decide what you're going to come forward to at the end. For <clears throat> It's fascinating that in the everyday stuff, that's hard. And when Jesus rises above it and walks past us, he's kind of raising the bar for these disciples. He's saying there's, there's more. In this situation where you're feeling swamped and you've been rowing against the wind for three miles, when you're feeling swamped, Jesus comes and he invites our attention. What I love is Peter's response. I just love it. I love that Peter goes, hang on a minute. Jesus is modeling something different. We're struggling against this. I'm going to respond to God. Do we respond in fear, going, I don't recognize God in this instance? Or do we respond as Peter did and go, hang on a minute, this is fascinating. I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could be that. If that's Jesus, then maybe he would call me. And I wonder this morning, my hope is that as, um, as Rich talks, as we reflect a little bit on what it means to be, take a plunge, to make a jump, to do faith, to be risky as, as people of, of God, I wonder whether we, we might be the ones that initiate with God. We might be the ones that go, God, if you're in, the, in this, if you're involved in this, call me. Call me to come. Say something to me. Beckon me. That was a quick sermon, wasn't it? Is that right? Brilliant. I've had enough of me talking. <clears throat> Great. Um, well, Rich is going to come up uh, in, in just a moment. Rich is pretty used to um, going around. He's an international preacher, except he does it in the world of finance, so we have to call it speaking, um, because preaching is for in the church. I'm being slightly sarcastic and ironic, because uh, sometimes we see, uh, we see a strange dichotomy about that stuff, but I'm really excited about when I sat down to look at this, this topic of faith and risk, I thought, actually, there's probably someone who could uh, really help us to unpack this a little bit from his own journey. So that's why I've asked Rich to come and speak to us. Rich, come and join me. You can clap him if you want. Rich, thanks. Thank you for having me. That's it. I'm just going to hand over. <laughs> I'm so annoyed because I have a very, very similar shirt to the one Rich is wearing. If it only I'd worn it today, we could have been like the twins. <laughs> could have been so special. He's a little bit older than me, though. Uh, only just. <laughs> I 
Thank you for having me. Um, it's always a bit daunting coming up here. I, I, do, I do speak in public quite a lot, but normally it's okay to do that because it's a topic that I know that I'm in the room probably know more about than anyone else. And, and so I feel a bit daunted today because I, I just know that there are probably people in the room here today who know a lot more about life than I do. So um, I'm stepping out a bit in faith myself in, in hoping that I get this right. Um, I, I've been a member of Trinity Cheltenham now since uh, February 2002, so that's uh, 15 years, almost 16 years now. I'm married to Susie and have three kids, uh, Jonah, Madeline, and Seraphine, um, who are all active members of this church as well. Um, I moved to Cheltenham and started a business called MicroInsure, which today um, is active across Africa and Asia and serves about 60 million uh, clients with very low-cost insurance, so insurance that costs two or three pennies uh, a month. Um, and we um, are privileged to work with some of the, the world's um, lowest-income families in those countries. So. David asked me to share a little bit about my experience of, of uh, living with, with risk and living um, uh, uh, with risk in my life. Um, and he asked me to share a bit about my story. And he said, uh, the last thing he said to me before I came up um, this morning was, just be yourself, just, just say what you want to say, which I thought was a rather foolish kind of <laughs> thing to say to me. But um, we'll see how we go and see if he invites me back for this evening. So it was 2001. I want to take you back to 2001. I was 28. Um, those of you that can do maths will work out that I'm 44. Um, and I had this kind of strong desire, strong passion to do more for the kingdom. I, I think it's something which I, I love seeing in the DY students. We've had a number of them come live with us over the years. And I, I, kind of, I think the thing I love having them stay with us is, is seeing that kind of just almost naive um, hunger for, for, for knowing more about God. And, and certainly that was kind of true of, of where we were as a family. Um, I became fascinated by why it was that people who were living in Africa and Asia didn't have access um, to insurance. They lived with massive levels of risk um, in their lives, and yet only 2 or 3% of the population in those countries had insurance. So I took a, a two-week um, unpaid holiday. I went down to Zambia. Uh, with a company called Opportunity International, and I lived in this community. And I remember um, living with this, um, with this lady, or living very close to this lady, who um, was trying to explain to me her, uh, her existence, her life. And she um, got very frustrated with me because I couldn't really understand how, how it was that she'd been kind of, she'd come from this village, she'd ended up, ended up back in, in the capital city um, with a good job, and then here I was, and she was back in the village um, with virtually nothing. And at the end of this two weeks, she got so frustrated with me, and she shuffled off into um, her hut, she came back out with a snakes and ladders board. And she put it down, and she said, look, this is my life. I'm just trying to work my way out of poverty. I'm trying to do the things. I'm trying to give my kids the things that you want to give your kids. Um, and I'm just trying to work my way up to the top of this board. And from time to time, bad things happen. And I'm not asking you to stop them happening, but I'm asking you, is there a way to stop me falling to the bottom of the board? And in my mind, that's what we use insurance for. It's incredibly boring. It's something which um, none of us know much about, but it's a, it's a huge tool of stopping people slipping back into poverty. When I got back to England, um, the guys at Opportunity International presented me with a, a job description. And as I read through the job description, um, I was fascinated because as I went down the list of requirements for this job, uh, I realized that there was probably 100 people that could do the first thing. And as I went down, the, the list narrowed. 
And the last point was, needs to love Jesus. And I realized that of all the people I knew who had the skills, who worked in insurance and worked in London at the time, that there were probably a very small handful of people, maybe even only just me, who could do that job. And, and it was this kind of bolt out the blue, okay, this is what we need to do. Now the trouble was, was that at the time, I was newly married, we had a six month old son, who's sitting over there at the moment, he's a bit bigger. Um, and I can tell you that my wife loved that six month old baby, um, like nothing she had ever loved in her life. And when I walked into the room and said, darling, I want to take us uh, as a family to Kitwe in northern Zambia, um, the look on her face was one of a lioness who was going to kill whoever had just come into her space. You see, the problem with Kitwe was that it was about 10 miles away from the border with DRC, which was in the middle of a civil war, and there were bombs kind of coming over from time to time. And that the main source of income in Kitwe was a large open source copper mine where they got the, 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 the material out of the ground by spraying sulfuric acid at the rock face. So it wasn't a very nice place to live. But I remember us for weeks, for, for, well, certainly not for weeks, for several days, I remember going through the Bible, looking for those verses that said, if you follow me, if you go to Zambia, your six-month-old baby won't get malaria. You know, and I, 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 we, we looked through, we looked through the Bible, and we, we, we were trying to find that kind of verse that said, you know, everything will be all right, and it, and it doesn't say that. You know, it says, I'll give you enough. I'll, I'll give you enough to deal with whatever comes your way. And, and at the time, we were praying for, um, for God's will to be written, big letters in the sky. Um, and we realized that that wasn't going to happen. So I've got a few points to make today. The first is around, uh, and I didn't tell the guys, so it won't pop up on the screen, I'm sorry. But the first one is about how much risk is the right level of risk for you? So I think the first thing I want to say is that all of us really have a very different perspective of risk and a different comfort level of risk. So there's, there's this kind of spectrum of risk of, of one end, the kind of Simon Gilbo types, and at the other end, um, perhaps my wife. Um, <laughs> And, 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 I don't, and I don't say that, actually, in a way that I want in any way to be derogatory, because I think that there's, there's a huge... That, that I, actually, what I want to, the point I want to make is that, is that r taking risk isn't actually akin to godliness, okay? And I think it's important that we hear that, because sometimes we put on the stage people that take risk and say, these people are really godly because they take risks for the kingdom. Actually, I think, um, I think Susie loves me kind of and respects me despite of the risks that I'm willing to take, not necessarily because of those things, but it's really hard for her because she, she doesn't come from a position of loving taking risks. She doesn't wake up every day and want to take risks. In fact, she wants to run the other way. But between us, somehow, I think there's this amazing balance. And so I think the, the first point I want to make is that I think it's really important that each one of us works out where we're at on the spectrum of, of willingness and ability to take risks. Because at different times in our life, we have different ability to absorb risk. Um, years ago, when we first started out, I found myself in the Philippines, and it was a country that we were desperate to get into. And we knew that there was one organization that we needed to find a way to work with. And I'd been chasing this guy, his name was Angel de Leon. And Angel finally said, yes, I'll see you, but I can only see you on Tuesday next week. So I booked a flight, I got on the plane, I went to the Philippines. And when I arrived there, there was this huge crowd. Many of you who have been to um, emerging countries will know what I mean. And there's like everyone. And it's crazy and it's hot and everyone's shouting and screaming. And, and there's a guy with a sign that says, Mr. Richard. And so I walked up to this guy and I said, hi, I'm Richard Leftley. I'm here to see Ang Hell. And he said, yeah, Mr. Richard. 
I said, okay, this is going to get tricky. I mean, how do I know if this is the right guy, if this is really, you know, the guy that I'm supposed to get in? So there was no one else there, so I thought, okay. I went to his car, which was a beaten-up pickup truck, um, and we, um, you know, put my bags in the back of the pickup truck, and we started driving. Now, I had no idea, because I didn't have a thing called Google Maps at that point, because um, this was in 2003, so it's before Google Maps existed. And I had no idea where we were going, but as we drove, I realized that this was going on a long way, right? We'd been driving for kind of three or four hours at this point. And we'd gone out of the capital city, and we were now in the kind of, you know, rice fields and what have you. And I kept saying to the guy, you know, Richard Leftley, you know, Mike Crenshaw, and the guy was like, Mr. Richard, Mr. Richard. That was the only English he had. And as we started to go up into the kind of jungle, I started getting a bit worried, because this was a time where there was this, um, a group of people who were taking Westerners, and they were hijacking them, and they were kidnapping them. And I, I, was, I was good to go. I was ready to open that door. I, I had it all planned out. I was going to open that door. I was going to hit the jungle, and I was going to start running. I don't know where I was going, but I was going somewhere. And just as I was like, literally going for the door handle, and you know, after four or five hours of sitting in this car, we, we came around a corner, and there was this amazing kind of compound, and there was Angel. So, you know, we, my life has been this kind of, has been like one week in Cheltenham, one week in, in these countries exposed to these kinds of stories. And there are a lot that I could tell, and, and, I, and I won't because my wife doesn't know many of them. So, um, I, think, I think though that in my experience, I think, I think what I want to say is that I think God finds a way to work in the messy margins of our life. You know, if everything is tucked away and ordered, it's very hard for God to do his thing. And, and so, you know, don't, don't be afraid of having those, those kind of messy margins. Okay, so we didn't go to Kitwe. We compromised. We came to Cheltenham. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes, and, and this is where I think this balance of, like, being a risk taker and not a risk taker becomes important. Because in doing that, if we'd gone to Zambia, we'd only have been able to serve in Zambia. But we came to Cheltenham, and we were able to serve now in, across uh, 16 different countries in Africa and Asia. And so that, that's really um, opened things up for us. So the second point I want to make is how do we know when God is, when, when it's a God risk? How do we know it's not just an us risk, something that we want to do? And I think that, um, you know, lots of people, lots of my friends over the years I've talked to about taking risk. Um, and, and some of them have left me, some of those conversations have left me feeling a bit hollow. I mean, I think it's amazing that, si I, I met Simon when I was 16 years old, Simon Gilbo, behind a, um, um, behind a shed. Um, at a Christian conference, um, and we were both troublemakers at that point, and I think Simon remained a troublemaker, and, and I stopped being a, a troublemaker. Um, but I never got that phone call. Simon got that phone call. He was talking about it a few weeks ago for you that, that were here, you know, go to Burundi, and he said, you know, God, if you want me to go to Burundi, and, and the phone rang, and, and, and there was someone. I would love to have had a phone call from God, um, but I never got one. I've never had one. And I think for us as a family, what we would testify to is that God has spoken through those kind of frustrating silences by constantly coming back to some verses, some verses which have kind of like become way markers along the way to say, I'm here, I hear you, I know you're frustrated, but I'm reminding you that I'm, I'm your God, that I know where you're going, and, 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 and these, are, these are kind of verses that we as a family have, have really found to be significant. And there are two that I want to tell you about. The first is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Um, this, is a, this is a verse that I, I was actually about 16. I was my son's age. And I was back on my way to school on the train. It was very early in the morning. I was the only person on the train. The sun was coming up. 
And I, I don't know why, I read my Bible every day, partly because my parents did, and I thought that was a good thing to do. I, I didn't know God very well in my heart. And my Bible fell out of my bag onto the table. And when I looked down, this is the verse that I saw. I think we can put it up here. It's very simple. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was when I was 16. I'd not encountered him before, but I, I did then. It completely and utterly zapped me on that train. And I didn't know, I didn't, ha I didn't have a personal relationship with God, but I know that's a promise that God gave me. And I've prayed it, and people have prayed it over me over the years. And I think it's been fascinating um, being in this church and being at New Wine. And I can tell you so many times where I felt completely lost and completely unsure of where we're headed as a business. And I've been up the front here, literally at the end of my wits, and someone, a complete stranger, has come up and prayed for me, and they've just come out with that verse. And it's just been a, a kind of constant reminder of, I know you're here, I know that you're seeking after me, and, I, and I'm going to speak to you, and I'm, gonna, and, and, and I'm faithful. The second passage um, came about when, um, in the early days of Microinsure, when, we when we were young and passionate about um, seeking after God's heart, and I, and I think we still are, but so many of us, when you get kids, it's so hard to remain passionate for God's heart. I don't know why, just get exhausted, don't you? Um, just in, in, in caring and looking after for others. We went away for, for this weekend um, to a lovely couple called, uh, called the Peniston, so uh, Miriam and, and Richard Peniston, um, and went to their parents' house, um, which is a beautiful rectory in, in Suffolk, and we spent the weekend just praying and, and being in God's presence. And, and there, was this, um, there was this verse, there was this, this um, passage in Isaiah 58, um, which, which came out of that and which was uh, just very clearly something which God had, had put as the kind of bedrock for, for us to kind of create um, microinsure. So Isaiah 58, 6 to 9, um, says, is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen. So th this verse comes out of a, of a section in the Bible where the Israelites are complaining to God because they can't hear his voice anymore. They, they want to hear God. And they're doing all the right things. They're going through the motions, but they can't hear God. And, and so it says, is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break, break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. And whenever we've got it wrong in the business, whenever we've got it wrong as a family, this is a passage that I've come back to, and I've tested what are we doing? And are we actually continuing to build upon that bedrock that God put in place? I don't know about you, but you can do a lot when the glory of God is your rear guard. And when you call on his name and he says, here am I. But not much can stand in your way when, that, when that's a promise that you've got. Susie wrote that up shortly after that weekend. Hand wrote it, framed it in a, pass, in, in, a, in, a, in a frame, and it sits by my bed. It's pretty faded. If you, came to my, if you came into our bedroom now, you may be able to read it. But I know what it says. And, uh, and that's a promise that, that I'm, I'm willing to build upon. The next point I want to make is um, taking risks with what's already in your hands. So I think here, um, 
The Bible's full of people who God encouraged into doing risk. We were, we were hearing about Peter earlier. He was a fisherman. Being in that boat wasn't strange to him. Being in a storm wasn't unusual for him. He may have been scared, but he knew what he was doing, right? He wasn't some landlubber. You know, David, when he went in front of Goliath, he put on the suit of armor. It wasn't right, so he took it all off, and he put a little stone in his pocket, and he went for it, right? And I think so often we, we feel like we've been called into taking risk for God, but in a way where we're not using the stuff that's already in our hands. And I want to challenge that. I want to say, like, I think sometimes that we, we imagine that we've got to go and do something exotic or crazy for God. Actually, what I think God wants us to do is to use the skills and the, the connections and the stuff that he's already put in our hands. When we started MicroInsure, I sent around an email to, my, um, to, my, to a group of friends, five friends, saying how frustrated I was that I was trying to get into, um, into in kind of international development. And I'd written to all of, the, all of the various kind of organizations around the world. And I couldn't get a job. I couldn't find a way in. And the title of the email was Sacks of Grain, because I was frustrated that all I was being offered was to go to some country and count sacks of grain in and out of the warehouse. And one of my friends wrote back and said, I think you need to have a chat with this guy. He's called Humphrey Norrington. So I phoned Humphrey. Humphrey used to be the chairman of Barclays Bank. Um, he was a you know, lovely old guy. I'm not sure if he's still alive. But that one phone call, that one email led to one phone call. That one phone call led to Humphrey saying, oh yeah, sure, you should get in touch with these people. They're doing amazing stuff and they'd love to do what you're doing. It didn't take me, you know, it didn't take a lot to, to start MicroInsure and to serve 60 million people. It took one email and one phone call. And so I think sometimes the stuff that we have is right there in front of us. The connections, we already have them. We already know the people. We just got to use them. Okay. <laughs> this final thing I, I want to say, I mean, I could go on all day about some of the risks we faced. Um, there's, there's a lot of people who work in MicroInsure who also come to Trinity, so I have to be a little bit careful what I say. But, um, you know, there, there have been challenges along the way. It's been 15 years. At least twice I've been convinced that we weren't going to be able to pay the staff. That's not the case anymore, by the way. That's good. But, you know, there have been at least twice I've got to the end of the month and thought, we're not going to be able to pay the staff this month. And... It's been a tough road, you know, setting up a business, doing something which everyone told us isn't possible. You can't insure people who are living with AIDS in Africa. Um, well, we can, and we, and we have. But I think, um, I think one of the things that I think I've learned to appreciate about, about being a Christian in the workplace is is how I think God sees the workplace and how he sees this act of worship, which I've, I've been, I feel called to perform. You see, for many years, I, I came to this church, I've been coming to this church for nearly 16 years, and I think I'm going to say that I think I've always seen the kind of gold standard in terms of kingdom work as being the vicar. And then the next guy down is the worship leader, right? And then the next one down is is the kind of kids' ministry, and then, you know, and then down the bottom of the pile is David. No, sorry, mate. You know, and, and, <laughs> and, and missionaries, missionaries, right? Missionaries are like, wow, full-on rock stars. Um, now, please don't hear me. I'm not knocking working full-time in ministry. I'm really not, because I think it's great, and I think it's great that people are called to do that. But I think that what I do want to challenge is this mindset that we have, those of us that don't work full-time in ministry, because, you see, I got into this mindset of, like, my work was this way where I could, I could work, I could make money so that I could pay my tithe and that I could invite people to Alpha, right? That was the reason that I went to work. 
And actually, I don't think that's the way that God sees my work anymore. I, I've, I've been very fortunate to be part of this, of this men's group. And, and, and at the center of this men's group has been this, this kind of challenge um, of, of how does God see our work as creators, as, as part of the kind of great commissioning. And you know, what, what would it, what, how would it change the way I went about my work if God saw my meeting or my phone call or my emails as an act of worship that was just as pleasing as the way we worship this morning? You know, I think God increasingly, I, I'm increasingly convinced that God sees his church, you know, his beautiful bride, as being so much bigger and wider and deeper than just this building or, or the ministries that come out of this, out of this building. And, and, it, and if I believe that, then, then the risks that I've been uniquely positioned to prayerfully take on behalf of God are actually an act of worship which is pleasing to my Father. So David, I don't know if I can, uh, I think I'm getting a wink that I've got to be quiet. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you Rich. Why don't we stand up? We've still got some time before we need to head out and grab kids or, or do whatever else. Yeah. There's some questions Rich has got. I, I, I'm just really grateful for God just stirring us and, and, and showing us. I'm grateful for, for Rich, what he's, what he's sharing, but also what he's, he's doing and reminding us what ministry looks like, um, what worship is, what a life laid down uh, looks like. And I hope that you're feeling stirred. I hope that you're redefining what it is that God's called you to do and, and being rescued to faith because some of you have been incredibly faith-filled and responded to God. You've got out of the boat, but perhaps that hasn't been talked about on a Sunday, so it doesn't feel like it's um, particularly kingdom, but I think you know it is and your heart's third. So, yeah, do you want to hit us with some questions? Sure, man. <laughs> I don't know, I was authorized to do it, but okay. Um, so I, I was praying this morning and I, and, I, and I came up with these four questions. I hope they're right. Um, forgive me if they're not. First question, what level of risk is right for where I am today? What's the right level of risk for my life and my, and my situation? The second question is, have I offered Jesus that I'm willing to take that level of risk for him? Or am I hiding behind other things which can get in the way of that? Third question for you is, what promises has God given me personally? And, and how do I need to remind myself of those? How, how am I going to remind myself of those? And, and how am I trying to weave those promises into my everyday life? And then finally, fourthly, what do you have in your hands today? in terms of skills or resources that you could use to further the kingdom? Have you asked Jesus how he wants to use the resources that he's entrusted to you for his kingdom? And if you haven't, I'd love to encourage you to do that. What do you have in your hands today in terms of skills, resources that could 
further the kingdom of God? I, I, I just think there's there's a whole bunch of questions there, uh, and we're going to just we're just going to move into a time of ministry. If there's anything about um, what Rich has been sharing, what um, we've been speaking about in terms of taking the plunge, making a step, being bold in faith. If there's stuff that you know you've got in your hands that you that you that you almost I almost sense that there's a commissioning this morning that where you've never been commissioned. We're, we're going to kind of commission and thank a bunch of DY students uh, this this evening. Maybe in your discipleship, maybe there's a there's something you want to be commissioned to again. Um, so just come forward. I would love I would love for us to be able to pray for a bunch of people, um, particularly for for where you're called to. It might be that you need reminding that that you've got that you've got distracted you need another of those way markers as rich was talking about in terms of a verse that you just need to hear god speak again or you need to be reminded of so come forward let's um yeah let's let's get to to pray if there's anything else that you want prayer for if there's a um anything else that god is speaking to you about if there's uh something in your body you would like to see healed we would love to pray for you as well